Good morning, everyone. Great to uh, see all of you here this morning, all of you out there in uh, Facebook land. Welcome. Uh, we're grateful that you could join us this morning and uh, very exciting to be here. And uh, we have uh, Gilbert Kameng, who's going to be preaching the word to us this morning. Amen. Gilbert is a dear brother from the Lagos Church. And uh, uh, yes, he is a teacher uh, for the continent of Africa. He's one of our four teachers there. And uh, he was just in uh, San Antonio last week for a teacher's conference, a kingdom-wide teacher's conference. He flew in for that and uh, uh, has preached at a couple places. Has to cut his trip short, unfortunately. He's supposed to uh, uh, go out to Kentucky and be able to preach there. But um, evidently there's something going on. And um, uh, it's, it's unclear what it is. I think there's supposed to be some coverage soon about it, though, so uh, we should find out. But uh, we are praying and uh, being very faithful, obviously, that uh, I've been begging God just to, to nuke it and uh, show his power. Uh, but either way, God's in control, and so it gives us an opportunity to, to shine the brightest in the dark. And so... Um, I just hope that we're all being full of faith in that, and, and uh, we're just grateful that we have technology so the folks that weren't able to come in and worship together physically here this morning can all be with us, and we'll continue doing that in the, in the weeks to come as necessary. But Gilbert was uh, met in Germany and uh, converted in 1992 when he was studying there, and uh, um, uh, he's not from Germany, but uh, he was studying in Germany. And uh, uh, many of you remember that last year he was here and uh, was able to preach to us right here at, at the Westin. And I'm not sure if Southwest was with us that time, but uh, I know the Central was for sure. But a uh, great blessing to be able to have him uh, to share with us, encourage us. And so I really want us to make sure we make him feel very welcome. We love supporting uh, Nigeria and uh, Western Africa, do we not, church? Amen. And uh, so with that, I give uh, Gilbert the floor here. Yeah, good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, greetings from the Lagos Church, the church in Nigeria. Very, very connected with the church here in Houston. Uh, thanks for your support. Thanks for your prayers. Um, it's funny, when I come to Houston, uh, I, I term Houston as a civilized version of Lagos. <laughs> Lagos is huge, big city, and I have that feel when I arrive here. Uh, I was here last year for the first time. Uh, it's such an honor to be back, uh, just like Doug shared. Doug has become one of us in Lagos. Uh, only this year, you, we couldn't have you this year, right? Okay, so every year we, we've had him come, and he comes and goes to the most dangerous parts of Nigeria. And uh, very faithful and adventurous, but just the connection with the church here is such a blessing for us. We have, uh, we have disciples from Houston who are with us in Lagos. Yeah who are a great, great blessing to the church there, an entire family. Uh, so there's just so much that we have in common. Uh, I just want to thank God for the opportunity, just like Doug shared. I did come for the teacher's conference. It was the first ever kingdom-wide teacher's conference that I've ever had in my 27 years as a disciple. Uh, so I couldn't miss it for anything. Not coronavirus. <laughs> okay. Braved it, trusting God. And, and it, it went extremely well. Yeah. It was deeply, deeply insightful. Uh, Three-day session. The first day, we just sat down and listened to, we'll call them outsiders, but in a way where it's a brother, uh, Stone Campbell movement or mainstream uh, churches of Christ, uh, theologians, scholars, just simply share deep insights. 
that stirred a lot of things in us, a lot of direction. Uh, there was a, a response each time each of them got up to speak uh, from an ICOC teacher. Uh, and then the next two days were more of core ICOC teachers speaking across so many spectrums. And so there's just so much to chew, so much to digest. Uh, we're now, I mean, we were the first three appointed teachers, but we now have 15 teachers across Africa. Yeah, five in Southern Africa, three in uh, French Africa, I think four others in Eastern Africa, three in Nigeria. And so uh, eight of us were able to represent Okay, so it was a great representation from all the regions, and it went extremely well. So this morning, I have a great opportunity. I want to make good use of my time. Uh, I actually had something else I was going to share that was, an, I'll say, an outcome of one of those things from the conference. I remember a class that Dave Pochter shared uh, on spirituality. He's been doing a PhD in spirituality uh, in one of the schools where we actually met and had the conference. And... He shared an insight about the need for us as a worldwide family of churches to, he talked about, uh, he called it, have a healthy sense of identity. Uh, and we talked about our history and, and where we got a lot of our identity from, and we know what happened two or three, and all the storms we've gone through. And, and so he, it was a really good way of placing where we are and the need to redefine or, or recenter our identity. So I was going to do a class this morning along those lines because I've been teaching lessons along those lines. I've had the opportunity to travel across churches in Africa. I must have been to 11 countries last year uh, in something like 16 churches or so. And you get a sense from congregations that there is a need for individual disciples to gain a healthy sense of identity. So like in Liberia, I went there with Chris and Rolayo, and Chris asked a question, the lead evangelist in Lagos, you guys know him. Uh, he asked a question to the congregation, how many here are ministers? There were a few hands that got raised up. And then he pointed us to 2 Corinthians 5, we're ministers of reconciliation. As disciples, we're all ministers. But there's a tendency that those sitting in the crowd don't see themselves as ministers. And so from that point on, I said, look, I need to start doing a lot more along the lines of recentering our identity from a biblical perspective, okay? And so I was going to actually share something this morning along those lines until the coronavirus noise got to my ears so strong. And uh, I remember texting Doug uh, two days ago. I said, with this coronavirus, I'm, I'm not sure there'll be enough ears to listen to what I was going to share. So there is a need for me to rearrange this message. And so uh, I decided to share something from one of my favorite epistles, uh, the book of Philippians. Uh, and one of the, 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 the lines from that book is the need for us to imitate Paul's heart, uh, to live as Christ. So I just want to uh, leave you with some thoughts, uh, prayerfully, that you can explore in your personal quiet time. I was super inspired by a brother who shared at communion and just using Psalm 22, Psalm 24 uh, to just help us, you know, have that anchor in our faith by looking at Jesus' faithfulness during the season. And I, I just found, I spent some time two days ago after listening to Douglas Jacoby give his Christian response to coronavirus, and he did refer to, he used a scripture from Psalm 112, 
So Psalms is a great place to be these days. And I'm going back to the Psalms currently. But they also quoted, hey, spend some time in Philippians, spend some time in Colossians. And that's exactly what I did. I just went through Philippians, was going through Colossians. And while going through Philippians, it just hit me that it kind of fits pretty in a good way with the context right now. And so we're going to just explore uh, Philippians for the, within the time we have. And my prayer is that you will take it and go do some more work with it. And prayerfully, it helps us in really anchoring our faith as we learn from our brother Paul. Okay, let's try out if this is going to work. Otherwise, we'll have it done from centrally. Okay, works. Perfect. So a bit of context for the book of Philippians. The author clearly is Paul and Timothy. Timothy might have been the secretary, but the voice you hear there is Paul's voice. And scholars accept that claim. Uh, Dade around 61, 62 AD. And it falls under what you call the prison epistles. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon are so named because they were written by the Apostle Paul during his time in prison in Rome, incarceration in Rome. And so the exact date, we really don't know, but we know he was in prison around 60, 62 AD during that period. And so I, I just uh, picked up this picture this morning to just give a, a, a visual picture of what it meant to be, for example, in a Roman cell back then. Even though Paul's conditions in Rome, he had been in many different prisons uh, during his time. In Philippi, he converted the jailer, right? Uh, uh, when the church was started in Caesarea Maritima, uh, he had been in prison. The conditions varied from place to place, but I just wanted us to have this visual image of what a prison cell, a typical Roman cell, could look like. Uh, and of course, uh, his imprisonment is verified by scriptures in the book of Acts, especially when he was in Rome, uh, where he was being guarded by soldiers. He was permitted to even have visitors, so there was a bit more comfort right there, and even had the opportunities to share the gospel. And what I find really interesting about the idea of Paul writing this from prison is that right now we have people doing self-quarantine, right? And either it's self-quarantine or it's imposed uh, uh, because of medical reasons. And so that context of just being locked up in a place which we're kind of experiencing more and more during this season just kind of hits home. And we see Paul using those opportunities to share the gospel. We're going to see more about that. As I mentioned, he had been in prison in Caesarea, uh, which afforded him not so much luxuries in terms of being able to share his faith, uh, but uh, generally accepted uh, that Paul's Roman imprisonment produced three great letters, like we've mentioned earlier on, including, including Philemon. Philemon was probably a house church leader in the church in Colossae. Just some background there. Uh, yeah, and one thing about uh, what I really love about the epistles is that we know Paul to be generally this fiery missionary, traveling, planting churches. I mean, he gets stoned and, and he decides to go back into the city and preach. And we tend to get a picture of Paul from that fiery, uh, upfront missionary perspective. But the epistles also re uh, uh, reveal that Paul had the heart of a shepherd to go back and revisit and strengthen and write all these different letters to really strengthen the faith of the disciples, his love and concern for those he thought of as his spiritual children. And this is a picture of many of his travels. And the church in Philippa was planted during his second missionary journey in Acts 16. Just a bit of context I'm trying to provide here. 
while the prison epistles reflect Paul's earthly position as a prisoner of Rome, he makes it clear that his captivity was first and foremost to Christ. So he's not just a Roman slave or prisoner, but beyond that, he's able to see God in his circumstance, and he called himself, all the scriptures in Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, he calls himself a prisoner for Christ, a slave of Christ. So we can look at our current circumstance from a human perspective, but we can go beyond and see the hand of that great God that our brother introduced us. And even through the songs, we see a God who reigns across the world. As Psalm 24 said, the earth belongs to him. And so Paul is able to see beyond his human circumstances and see the hand of God and even call himself a prisoner for Christ. Little did Paul know the impact that these letters were going to have many centuries later, and here we are still learning. And one thing I know in my course, I'm currently doing a master's course uh, in, in Bible theology, Rocky Mountain School of Ministry, is that the epistles, yes, they were written mostly to deal with occasional situations uh, in, in different churches, but we know that we can draw principles from them that do apply to our circumstances. And so that's what we're trying to achieve even here with the book of Philippians. And so the purpose was, while Paul was in prison, uh, they had sent Epaphroditus with financial support, and he became gravely ill, uh, not coronavirus, but he was ill, uh, recovered, and was sent back by Paul with a letter that responded to information that he, uh, that, that, that he had given Paul. So Paul had shared, uh, Epaphroditus had shared with Paul about the church in Philippa, and so Paul was now responding. He did that with Corinthians too. He got news from the family of the Stephanus family, and he's responding based on what the information he received. And he wished to also thank them for the gifts and to tell them about Timothy's probable visit. He was going to visit them soon. And so this is just the background and purpose, but he also wanted to thank them for the support. And then he took the opportunity to give some important teaching about living our new life as new people and a new creation. And so great themes in the book, humility, gratitude, resurrection life, true joy. Joy is a big one. Uh, I mean, writing from prison, you can actually find the word rejoice, glad, in different forms about 16 times spread across the book of Philippians in really tough circumstances. They're one of the most joyful epistles that you know. Uh, the Lordship of Christ, kingdom citizenship are some great themes that actually emanate from the study of the book. It has a structure. It's always advised when you study a book to look at the background, look at the structure. Before you start drawing lessons from individual verses, it paints the picture so you don't get a verse and interpret it out of context. So this is a bit of the structure, typical new uh, first century structure of a letter. It often starts with salutation, ends with greetings, and then in between, he shares his reflections from prison, encouraging them to be faithful despite the circumstances they were going through, imitation of Christ's example. He himself went ahead and showed that example, as we'll see later on, uh, uh, imitating Paul's example during those tough circumstances. A, close, uh, a closing appeal for them to be faithful. We got some of that this morning from the Lord's Supper. Uh, embracing the new life we have in Christ. Then he ends up by thanking them for their gifts and gives some closing greetings. And so I just wanted to just, you know, zoom in into some key 
scriptures. As I was going through the epistle yesterday again, I was doing a vote, an, an audio version, and I was reading at the same time. Some things were just jumping out of the pages. I thought I'd just share some of the things that, that jumped out for me as I was reading through. Uh, the first part I want to mention, it says, all my prayers for you. That's the salutation, thanksgiving, and prayer section of his, of his letter. Uh, I always pray with you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we know how the church started in Acts 16 when it met the women by the waterside. Lydia got converted, invited him into his home, and he visited them a couple of times in between. But this is about 20 years plus later on that he's writing this letter because the church started like 49, and this is something like between 60 and 62, some 20 years plus. They had already celebrated maybe 20, 20 anniversary of the church, and he's writing back to them, but he's reminding them of the partnership that they had in the gospel. That's a big theme in the book of Philippians. And I did mention earlier on that there is an incredible partnership already ongoing between the church here and the church in Nigeria. Uh, so that just connected with me when I read that. I can't stop saying thank you on behalf of the churches in Nigeria for so much of your support. Amen. It goes a long, long way. Uh, there's so much more to say that I'm going to move on because of time. Uh, verse 12 to 15 says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Like I said, he's in prison, but he's focused on how is God going to use this to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. There's a lot of fear going on, right? right? There's so much fear and panic around us. But we can learn from both Paul and the first century Christians how they were able to overcome their fear. And our brother said it so well in his prayer that our faith should be more than our fear. Fear is an emotion. And there's no courage. Somebody said there's no courage without fear. But the difference is that you don't allow your fear to control you. You, you still move on in spite of your emotions, and you do what you need to do. And so they had this, they're setting a great example right there for us. This is one of the key scriptures here, still in chapter 1. I eagerly expect and hope that I'll in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And he said really well, whether by life or by death. The circumstance does, does not matter. But the goal is Christ has to be exalted. Amen. One of the purposes God created us is for us to glorify him. Right? And so Paul is focused on that and he nails it down for to me. That's Paul's theology right there and philosophy of life. To live is Christ. Right. And to die is gain. Amen. What a perspective. Yeah. My goodness. And so, during this time, we're trying to do everything to be wise enough, wash our hands, uh, stay away, take all the measures. We're not fatalistic in our thinking because we want to be safe to continue to share the gospel and impact the world around us, right? Because to live for us is Christ. But what about death? He said, for him to die is gain. I know for me, I connect with this because, like, Paul, like, like Doug mentioned, I was converted in Germany. I was a student, yes, at the time, but I was converted 
in really tough circumstances. I did share for those who were here last year, but I was, I was struggling with cancer. I had cancer in my bone marrow, in my kidney, and in my liver. I was in hospital for almost a year, and I was reached out. The person who reached out to me was one of my doctors. He's a cancer specialist, hematologist, who did his research in MIT, got converted there, but as a German, went back home. The church had started just almost a year before he met me in Berlin, Germany. And God allowed me to be exactly in that hospital, exactly in that department where he works. And that's how he reached out to me in those dire circumstances. In fact, when he met me, I was about to be isolated in a room for one month because the first part of the treatment didn't work out well, and so there was a relapse, and the doctors were like, look, for, you, for us to give you a chance of surviving, we need to do a bone marrow transplant. And I became like a guinea pig because stem cell technology, that was 27, 28 years ago, was still being tested. And they were open enough to tell me, we're trying this thing out, it's looking good, it's not yet a confirmed treatment, but if you want it, we can do it. Because they wanted to get uh, uh, the bone marrow from one of my siblings. I said, no, 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 no. This is enough pain I've been going through here. I was injected 16 times on my spinal cord. I was I, I, bone marrow punctured 12 times. And Africans have strong bones. <laughs> the doctor who did that puncture the first time in winter, this was February 92, it was cold and the guy was trying to get through my bones, he was sweating. <laughs> but this was done to me 12 times during the treatment. I was locked up in this room for one month when it failed, and they had to now do a, a, a bone marrow transplant. Well, that meant destroying my entire bone marrow and trying to come up with a new one. We have to thank our doctors. They are amazing. And so uh, I was locked up in that room. It was like going through uh, the shadow, what is that? The valley of the shadow of death. But it was amazing because God worked it out that I got baptized just before that uh, uh, transplant took place. And I'm in this room, locked up. Everybody that comes in has to cover themselves up, not to expose me because I had no immunity. As I only see the doctor's eyes. And they're coming in and they're wondering, how is this young man? I was 21 years old. How is this young man coping? and they are full of pity, but they walk in and they see I'm beaming with joy. There, there was a glow, they couldn't help, they're like, we are coming to encourage you, you're the one encouraging us. There is something about God's presence that strengthens, that encourages. And so even during this season where there's so much fear and panic, I am transported back to that period of my life where I could look at death in the face I said, look, I'm reconciled with God. If you come, I'm ready. Before I got converted, I wasn't ready, and I was seeking. And God sent me a disciple. But after that, man, I just had this incredible peace that we're going to see in the book of Philippians. So this is an incredible attitude that Paul is having here. He's in a Roman cell. He might be persecuted. He might be killed. He's not worrying about all of that stuff. He's worrying about how to spread the gospel, because for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. What an attitude. And he could now turn around and tell them, whatever happens in verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Yeah. 
He had the moral authority to call them higher. That whatever happens to you, whatever circumstance in life, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. I love this scripture. I couldn't help but put it in here in your relationships from verse 5 of Philippians 2. We one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And it's a very long scripture. I didn't want to put the whole thing in there. But this part and what I underlined there is something that I've been thinking about lately, about our relationship with one another, how God basically wants us to look at, you can call it the Godhead, the Trinity, whatever you call it, but look at the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the way they interact with one another. Right here we have the opportunity to see what's happening between the Son and the Father, and that this mutual, or I can call it holy collaboration between them, and how we, how we are opportune to learn from that relationship and apply that in our relationship with one another, and especially in marriage, right? Uh, back in Africa, we have cultural issues. I've heard some Nigerian names here. Nigerian men are full of ego. African men tend to be like that. And there's a tendency to put the woman somewhere else. And so for us, in our cultural context, there's so much to learn by looking at the way the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They, 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 he had the same divine nature. It was not about who is superior, who is, it was about them collaborating. And to be able to take that model and learn from that and interact with one another in that way. I just wanted to drop that thought. Uh, Philippians 2, 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. During the day, we don't see those stars, right? But when it gets dark at night, we can see them. And in dark times like this, brothers and sisters, we have the opportunity to really shine like stars. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ uh, uh, that I did not run and labor in vain. He also mentioned holding firmly to the word of life. Oh, this is a big one. I want to know Christ, chapter 3. Yes, Paul is in prison, and this is what is keeping him going. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He is focused on being like God. Okay, and that's what Genesis was about. We're created in God's image. And then the entire Bible is about God restoring that image, Jesus coming, restoring that, all the way to Revelation. Paul is focusing on that. I want to know Christ. And so he's consumed. That's his intrinsic motivation. That keeps him going. Knowing Jesus primarily through the resurrection life of Christ is more important for him, more real, more joyful than anything else because God has exalted Jesus, the crucified humble servant with the name above every name. Another key topic here, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And he's actually addressing the context of their time. Philippi was a Roman colony. And even though it was a Roman colony, it was first of all Greek, but they, had, they now had these veteran soldiers settled there after one of the battles that was fought and won. And so a lot of Roman soldiers settled there and a lot of people in the city had Roman citizenship. 
Now, the interesting thing, I learned something new when I was trying to do some research on it, even this morning, is that when you look at Philippians, it was written in Greek. All the, of the New Testament was written in Greek, basically. And even the names that you see Paul calling are Greek names. So these are, there are a lot of Greek people within that Roman city, and people are very proud about their Roman citizenship, but there's a question mark on how the Greeks who were in that Roman city will be feeling, because they're still under some colonial influence there. And it would not be surprising that they probably had the kind of feelings that people have towards their colonial masters, okay? So it's easy to just say, yeah, they were all Roman citizens, but it could be that you know, among them, there were still those mixed feelings. True that because of the Roman citizenship and the Roman uh, city that it had become, there was a lot of economic advantage, which even the Greeks would benefit from, okay? But it would be a generalization to say it was a completely Roman city and they were all proud of their Roman citizenship. And Paul is here pointing them to the fact that, yes, you're proud of being Romans. I'll compare that in our days to having American citizenship. I'm coming from Africa, and I know what a big thing it is when Africans are able to have an American citizenship. Okay? It's a big thing. And you probably know that. I was singing to the choir. But the point here is, he's using that to tell them that, look, you're part of something even much greater. This addresses our identity in Christ. And let me just say a quick word. I've been privileged, while I was flying here, I took all those hours to read the manuscript of, uh, of one of the new books of a good friend of mine. You probably know him, Micah Burns. Uh, he's coming up with a new book, uh, still crossing the lines, but this time, Politics, Allegiance, and Kingdom. It is deep. It is profound. I will advise you when he comes out, grab a copy. Because he, he, he deals with the topic of kingdom and citizenship in such a deep way. We agreed even in San Antonio that in the past, I don't know if you guys still teach kingdom study when you do uh, series studies with our friends here, but there's been a tendency to shy away. But the point is, if we taught some things that were wrong about the kingdom in the past, most of Jesus' message was about the kingdom. So we cannot shy away. If we need to correct some things in our understanding of the kingdom, let's correct them, but let's teach and preach the kingdom. And let's embrace our kingdom citizenship because it has affected us. Are we together, brothers and sisters? There's so much more to say, I'm going to move on. So please, grab a copy when it comes out. Oh, this is the joyful note of this book. You'll find joy in so many places. One of them here, Rejoice in the Lord Always, chapter 4, verse 4. I will say it again rejoice. Don't allow the circumstances to pull you down. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I highlighted some things there. Anxiety is a big one at this time. Do not be anxious about anything. Convert your anxiety to prayer and petition. If you can worry, then you can pray. If you can worry, then you can meditate because worry is meditation in a negative sense. But we're supposed to meditate on God's word day and night. So we have that same ability that we use to worry. Let's use it to meditate on God's great promises. Amen? 
convert them, thanksgiving, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guide your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus. Hearts and minds is a big one. It's addressed further here in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Feed your mind with things that are true, that are noble, that are right. During this time and this period, there's so much on the internet, so much, what are we feeding our minds with? Somebody mentioned it. Hey, I've been staying away deliberately from watching a lot of TV because truly your anxiety level goes up. I want to stay informed. I want to find out what's going on and all of that. Yes, but man, what an opportunity to spend more time meditating on what is true. Is God's word true? Noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Let's focus. Let's feed our minds with the right things. And so in conclusion, some key thoughts here is, do we have the same conviction like Paul? Do we view life as Paul viewed it, that to live is Christ? And death, he viewed it as gain. Because when you are with Christ and you're right with God, hey, you get torn between staying here and moving on the other side. And so, maybe this is an opportunity for us to get there, if you're not yet there, or to stay there if you're there. And so, if that's not your perspective, what's hindering you? We could apply this to so many things. Don't allow your circumstances to determine your attitude. Paul was writing his letter from prison. We are going to be in different... Life has changed. So many things have been upset by this whole coronavirus, but we've got to maintain the attitude that Paul had. Let's learn to live as citizens of God and to God be the glory. Thank you.